Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. invite you this morning. Let's go in our Bibles together. We're going to go to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, today we are in chapter 6, and we're looking forward to getting back into this study in the Old Testament. 400 years, a little more than 400 years before Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again, before he was born of Mary, a virgin in the little town of Bethlehem. About 400-some years before that came Nehemiah, and Nehemiah knew his Bible, and Nehemiah was on a mission from God to prepare the city to make it ready for the king. Think about when John the Baptist came, and his preaching was, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. What is that language of? Make ready for a king. A king is coming. So you realize that our stories are part of a much greater story as part of God's work, God's kingdom. We didn't come here on our own. We are not of our own. We do not exist for our own purposes and glory. We are part of God's work, God's story, and it is all for our good and the good of all people and the glory of God alone. That's where we find significance, not in idolatry. Idolatry always fails and let's down. Now in Nehemiah's day, just a reminder, there was a lot of work that needed to be done. There was a wall that needed to be rebuilt. He was on a mission from Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. He was devoted to restoring the honor and glory of God, and there were people who were serving with him, but came one attack after another, and that always happens in the work of God always. Now they have tried. They look at the wall. The wall is almost finished. The gates haven't been put up yet. And so now the enemies realize they're looking at the hourglass and there's very little sand left. So now they up the ante. They go directly to attack Nehemiah. Now they take on personal attacks. I imagine if he would have had a family with him, it would have been even more intense, but as being the governor, as being there alone, they simply zero in on him as the leader, and they say, if we can take this guy down, the work of God will stop. It will not be completed. Nehemiah chapter 6, follow along there in your Bibles. We're introduced again by, to these enemies the trifecta of evil against Nehemiah. Now when Samballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of all our enemies heard that I built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Samballat and Geshem said to me, sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hecaphrim in the plain of Oh No. When you have to read Hecaphrim, then you say Oh No. <laughs> but they intended to do me harm. 
And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king, speaking of Artaxerxes, will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Let's talk about this. Then I sent to him saying, no, no such things as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mechatebo, who was confined to his home, he said... Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished. On the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their idolatry, in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the, noble of, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. And Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, And his son, Jehohanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now, the first two verses of chapter 7 help us to understand and kind of bridge between this Sunday and next Sunday. Now, when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, and the singers, the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man 
than many. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Today, this is, this is what I'm laying out before us today. I believe this is what the passage is telling us. God's work will be accomplished with God's help. God's work will be accomplished with God's help. And we can look back into the Old Testament and we can look back into the New Testament and we can build on the promises of God. We can build on the character of God. We can rely on the faithfulness of God and trust him today, tomorrow, for our future. In the middle of the chaotic times that we live in, we can realize God is not fretting in heaven. He is not panicking. He is not biting his nails. He is enthroned. He always has been. He is. And he, finish it for me, always will be. Right? Past, present, future, the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is our God. So when we look at this, we're going to unpack. There's four schemes here to stop the leader. All right, now they're just zeroing in. We've got to take down the leader. We've got to, we've got to kill him. We've got to take down Nehemiah. And if we stop the leader, we'll stop the work of God. we just got to stop him. They, they realize time is short. The wall, we didn't think it could be done. You know, the one guy, I told him the fox will knock it down, and they're still building. I'm going to try another speech. Understand this, loved ones, that Nehemiah faced external and he faced internal opposition in the work of God. External, he expected. This chapter unfolds the internal opposition that he didn't see coming. Now he, it's not like he wasn't aware that it could be. It's just not readily seen. This is, this is the sleeper cell. This is the terrorist. This is the person that is covert. They're right there next to you saying amen or that's right, yeah, let's do it. And then they're, they're giving all the information to the enemy. That's what Nehemiah experiences. The first plan in their scheme was let's murder him. Let's kill him. We gotta take care of him. So Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, these guys, these, these lead enemies, and along with all the nations, all the enemies, they're, all, they're coming to a point here. So they simply try to lure him away. They try to get Nehemiah to come off the work, come out of Jerusalem, and come on over into our death trap. The wall was in place. The doors weren't there yet. Project was going well, but as Nehemiah hears this invitation to go have a meeting, he looks at the project, and I think it was uh, the famous Hall of, Hall of Fame uh, baseball player, Yogi Berra. It's not over till it's over. We're not done yet. I'm not leaving. Four times. Hey, come on over. Hey, come on over. No, 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 no. If there are no gates on this city, there are no, there's no sovereignty for this city. If you do not have locks on your door, then you do not have sovereignty over your house. People just come and go when they want to. In order for there to be sovereignty and order and rule and the lack of war and mob violence, you have to have sovereignty. There must be God-ordained authority in charge 
doing what God has ordained for them to do. And if there are no boundaries, you can't just build a fence in your neighbor's yard. Well, I just wanted, you know, I thought it would look better over here. I had a tree in the way, so I just put it in your yard. No, you don't have a say over my yard. Where does that come from? Does that come from human power? No, it comes from God giving it to people to steward. Take care of the portion and never forget that someone else will be taking care of that lot in a few decades from now. That grass that I mow, that you mow, someone else will be mowing that grass in time to come. But steward it well. That city that you're a mayor of, that state that you're a governor of, that nation that you are a president of, you are responsible and you will answer to God for that. If the walls and the gates are not there, there's no sovereignty. You can't say, here's what we'll do in this city because anybody can just come and go. So this is of God. And Nehemiah says, no, I'm not leaving. They wanted him to go about a day's journey over to the seacoast. He says, I'm not leaving. That'll take me about three days off the job. If I'm gone three days, think about that. 52 days the project was completed and he's already had to have some timeouts and some family huddles and meetings and working things out. Remember the last time they're fight, the, the rich, the wealthy are at, at odds with the poor and they work through that. Now here comes the, this final push from the enemies. Can I ask you the question that I've been asking myself? What does it take for you to be pulled off mission? When in Jesus' day, he talked about those who would be disciples. And someone says, oh, I would be your disciple, but hang on, um, let me bury my father first. In other words, let me make sure my financial security is good. I'm gonna wait until my dad dies. I'm gonna get the inheritance. I'm gonna hedge all my bets, and then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. You can't have you relying on you and taking care of everything that's coming to you and me and honor me. That's idolatry. Someone said, oh, you know what? I just bought a field. I got to take care of my employment. I got to take care of my finances for my family. I've got to have all this in order, and then I'll, uh, then I'll get around to discipleship. You know, I just, have to, I just have to work, and I have to work, and I have to work. I can't take the Lord's day off. And Jesus says, well, you can have, you can have your life, or you can have discipleship life, but you can't have both. It's a high cost. Someone else, love this one. Oh, I would be a disciple, but I've married a wife. She won't let me come, Jesus. Imagine voicing that to the one who left heaven. To walk the earth that he created and somebody actually said that to him. Oh, I would follow you. But I gotta just, you know, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And Jesus just so sad. You can't have both. You cannot serve wealth and God. We cannot serve people and God. But when I rightly serve the Lord, that makes me the best husband for my for my wife. That makes me the best father that I should be to my children. That brings me to the point of being a usable shepherd in God's hand for a congregation when I don't fear the congregation. I fear the Lord. Do I understand this? 
And I have no doubt in my mind there are those listening today, and there are, whether they're online or here, and they're between the two. I would serve the Lord, but fill in the blank. Is it worthy? Can it bear up the weight of your soul? Don't even get me on kids' sports. All I'm doing is saying one day you're going to stand before the Lord, loved ones. Who's worthy of our lives? We have to think, what does it take for you to be off mission? Nehemiah says, nope. The belief that if the leader is taken out, then the work of God will stop. Let's persecute the work. This has happened down through the ages. Jesus, take out the leader. That'll stop these Christians. You know, these followers, these disciples, that'll stop him. Nope, he rose from the dead. All right, let's take out Stephen. If we can get this guy, they, they put him to death. All you got out of that was Saul became Paul. Well, that didn't work too good. All of, almost all of the apostles gave their lives. They were martyred. John was tortured, but he died of old age. And they were all willing to pay the price. They would not go off mission. Church history is filled with persecution. Tertullian is the one who said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The people would lay down their lives and you would think people would run and say, never mind, I'm not gonna, this is, this is serious. And instead, people go to the mission when they hear of those laying down their lives. And let's not be confused. There is persecution happening today in the world we live in. So while you just wrote down the word murder, and it's maybe a little difficult to reconcile that with your pastor, there are congregations around this planet. We are partnered with some in India that that is a reality. When they would write the word murder, they understand this actually has happened or could happen in our congregation to our leader. And the Bible says we're to remember them. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 12, so we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Nehemiah's issue wasn't just with Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem. There's a spiritual warfare going on that was playing out in the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus gave us this promise that we can build our lives on. And he says this to Peter. After Peter makes the great confession, you are the Christ, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, who, this Christ, it's the gospel. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter, I will build my church. And no force of hell will stop me. I will build my church. So they tried to murder him. Secondly, their, their second scheme was slander. Let's slander him. Let's speak lies about him. And when Sanballat sent this open letter, do you understand what is happening there? It's an utter disdain for Nehemiah. Every now and then in our day, social media and people post an open letter. And they just, they don't really care what happens to the person. They just want to take down the person. And so they post everything said to just simply ruin them, ruin their family, ruin their reputation. 
So when Sanballat sends this open letter, typically the letter would be in a scroll and it would be sealed by the dignitary so that, that it would arrive untouched, unedited. But an open letter is just letting everybody in on the conversation between the leaders. It's a sign of disrespect. He has no respect for Nehemiah. And he wants that disinformation to spread. He's writing an open letter. It's lies about Nehemiah. And he wants everybody to pick up on the lies and repeat them enough that you start believing them as if they are the truth. He's trying to gain an advantage. Social media has become this kind of an environment where people basically can say anything that they want to say and they ruin ruin people. As if any of us could live under the weight of if everything was known about us. There's one who knows everything about me and everything about you. And he shows mercy. But an enemy, they get information on you to share it to ruin you. The accusation against Nehemiah that was in this open letter, we know what you're doing. As soon as you get the gates put up and the wall finished, you're going to lock the gates and you're going to say, sound the trumpet, King Nehemiah. It's all been for me. I'm in charge. I'm on the throne. And you're going to rebel against Artaxerxes. Now that had happened in the past in Jerusalem. So they can mix in some events from the past and say, oh, this has always happened in Jerusalem. But that isn't what's going on here. And Nehemiah pushes against this in chapter 7, saying, no, that's never been what it was about. They slander him. The invitation was to stop the work by tying up the leader in meetings where he'd just die in meetings. Just come to another meeting. Come to another meeting. And Nehemiah refused to submit to their opposition by leaving his mission. Not leaving. I'm staying on task. They didn't frighten him. They didn't intimidate him. Why? Because he knew who sent him on this mission. Artaxerxes. Go do the work. Here's my credit card. I'll pay for it. A lot of it. So when these people come barking at him, he's not worried about it. Because they don't know our Xerxes like he does. And he's serving God, and they obviously don't know God. Why should he fear? Why should he, oh no, I better go meet with them and die? No, I'm staying on mission. I've shared this quote, I mean, 15 years ago, I think it came through in a class in seminary I was in on discipleship, and Bill Hull writes this. He says, leaders may stir up opposition in two ways. The first is by obeying God and leading the church according to God's agenda. This, newsflash, creates a great deal of friction. Okay, what's he saying? Here's what the Bible says. Church, we need to obey the Bible. Well, we've never done it that way. Friction comes on. He says this, the other way is to be passive and allow the church to stagnate. This method causes the congregation to criticize the pastor for his lack of leadership. 
Either way, leadership faces opposition, and this is what just drilled me. So why not make your opposition count? A leader will face opposition for doing too much, not doing enough. So since you're going to face opposition, how about you do what God says and make your opposition count for eternity? And I thank the Lord for all that he has gathered under this banner to say, let's do what God says. Perfectly? No, we don't do it. We want to be pleasing to the Lord and, and perfectly obey, but we don't. But we encourage one another to press on and make your opposition count for all eternity. Well, they tried to slander him. That didn't work. So then they tried the approach of intimidation. They tried to disqualify him. Sanballat and Tobiah, they hired Shemaiah. Now they're working with an inside agent against Nehemiah. This is an internal threat against the work of God by one of Nehemiah's brethren. Nehemiah did something different here. He actually paused working, and he actually went to Shemaiah's house to listen to him. Hey, Shemaiah's got a concern. He wants you to come see you. And for some reason, may, possibly he's a, of the Levitical priests, possibly he is uh, you know, in some way defiled or um, not ceremonial clean right now. So he stays at his house, and Nehemiah says, okay, since you're my brother, I'll come and visit you. You have a concern, I'll listen to you. And so he goes and he meets with Shemaiah, and Shemaiah seems to have this access, let's go hide out, let's go into the house of God, let's go into the temple. And there's something that strikes Nehemiah as very unacceptable. I can't do what you're asking me to do. So it's interesting to me, Shemaiah, that you can't come out and work on the wall. You've stopped me for a few minutes to come and visit with you. And here I am with you. And now you're asking me to go do something that is contrary to God's word. And you're telling me that God is working through you to ask me to disobey his word. Something doesn't smell right here, Shemaiah. Something's not righteous here. Something is off. It was a temptation for Nehemiah to dishonor and to disobey God by entering that high place reserved for the high priest alone. Now think about this. The high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. So here comes this, this one of Nehemiah's brethren, an Israelite, and he's saying, this is bad. They're going to come by night. I've got this information, and I've got this word. They're going to come by night. They're trying to kill you. This is serious. Okay, now you're going to listen to your brother a little more than your enemies, and you're going to hear him out, and his solution to the problem is not let's pray. It's so what we need to do is I'll meet you, and I'll let you in the back door of the temple, and we'll hide out there. Okay, so that way, as soon as I'm in the place where I'm not supposed to be, you can go tell everybody, hey, look at this man who says trust in the Lord. Look where he's at. Look where he's hiding. He's afraid for his life, and he just runs into his basement and hides. He's in the bunker. What kind of leader is this? Disobedient to God. 
I'm a Levitical priest. I would know he shouldn't be in there. You see how this is playing out? But this is different than the enemies. This is like Judas. This is somebody who was on the board. This is somebody who was on the team. This is somebody who said, yes, yes, we should do that. And then suddenly you find out they didn't mean, yes, yes, we should do that. Something else was at play in their heart and in their motives and in their mind. And Nehemiah says, I'm not doing it. If they come to kill me by night, they will kill me in a place that I should be, not, where, not in a place where I should not be. I'm not running, and I'm not hiding, and I'm not backing down, Shemaiah. I won't do it. He refused to dishonor God to save his life. Now think about this. It's on a premise like this that many churches reopened their doors as soon as possible a couple of years ago. That we would meet in person and worship safely as we knew how. But we are not, our end goal is not to spare our human lives. I watched the testimony of a woman in another church being baptized saying I was at the end of my rope, I was at the bottom, I was at the end of life, and I went to a church that had open doors, and from the baptismal tank, she was saying, if this church would have not, been, not have opened their doors for worship, I would not have lived. I was that far gone. And they were here, and I heard the message of the gospel, and I, am, I belong to Jesus now, and I'm going through the waters of baptism. I'm thankful. Like, this is why. And there were churches that took heat for this. There was division inside of churches over this. Oh, they shouldn't open. We need to, we need to stay, you know, just stay and, and, and submit in every way to the government, which is of the people, by the people, for the people. Loved ones, and all the love and tenderness I have, we're commanded. Let me just read it. It's better than my words. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. The writer says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is happening? There are some who they stayed home and they stayed home a little longer and they stayed home a little. Now their habit is they do not do this. The cost of discipleship was too much. Oh, may each person hear that invitation to come back. We can't stir one another up remotely. We have to live life with one another. In Romans 14 and verse 8, this is a believer's perspective on life. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. It's what the psalmist said, my times are in his hand. I will not live one second longer than the Lord has ordained for me to live. So I can trust him. Nehemiah is taking the, this in the Old Testament, and this is what he's doing. If I'm going to live, Shemaiah, I'm going to live honoring the Lord to the best of my ability. I am not going to go run and hide and pretend that I can save my life. I cannot. But you can't touch me as long as God says this work is going on. You cannot kill me if the Lord says, finish the job, Nehemiah. That's faith. That's inspiring. That's people that are like, whoa, 
I'm working with this guy. He's not hiding out, afraid for his life. Uh, letter D, betrayal. All right. Let's betray the guy. They were being deceptive with the leader, but guess what? Time and truth go hand in hand, and pretty soon it comes out. And Nehemiah's memoirs, he says, oh, by the way, in verses 17, 18, and 19, here's what's really going on. We have a godfather involved here. It's like a little Israelite mafia happening. Somebody's the, you know kid and they're all these marriages and they're connected they're on the arm and then i find out they got all these letters going back and forth there's secrecy going on the nobles are communicating with the enemies of god's people they're telling them everything about god's word many letters there's a lot of communication this is long before emails going back and forth why they're secretly bound by an oath to him their loyalty was not to God. Their loyalty was not to God's work. Their loyalty was not to God's people. They were committed to an enemy. They were committed to a mere human being. They didn't love God. So what are they doing? They're lobbying. They're lobbying. Hey, you know, what about, what do you think, Nehemiah? And, and Nehemiah, you know, they're, they're not really that bad. They're really not that bad. They're pretty good people. You know, you really did wrong. And you said they couldn't help on the project. You really, you, really, you know, you're kind of an egotistical guy, Nehemiah. Sometimes you're kind of arrogant. Sometimes, you know, your face gets a little difficult. You could have been nicer to those people. Hmm. No. No. They're just going back and forth. They're riding the fence. They're not loyal they're not genuine. You, you can't trust them, but Nehemiah didn't know it yet. He didn't understand everything yet. They're in unlawful partnerships. And loved ones, when the people of God give their children in marriage to someone who does not belong to God, what happens? That's why the New Testament says, do not be unequally yoked to not join together your lives when there's two spiritual directions in play. What are you going to agree on? And they did. And it's playing out in these family relationships. And they have a powerful sway of the conversations that are, that are attempting to get Nehemiah off the project. So, so listen to me clearly. If you're looking, you're dating young people, parents with their children, who are they looking at as a potential mate? Pay careful attention. Parents, grandparents, we pray for our children that they know and love and follow Jesus and they find someone who knows, love and, loves and follows Jesus and they live their lives devoted to the Lord Jesus. These individuals empowered the enemies of God. That's what all of this deception was doing. It was making a mockery of the work of God, a mockery attempting to mock Nehemiah and give a bad name and a bad reputation and get him so frustrated and so personally attacked that he would just either die or quit or the people would just believe the lies and not follow him anymore. They didn't care. They had no concern for Nehemiah, although they feigned it. They pretended it. Shemai, oh, come on, Nehemiah, let's save your life. I really care about you. No, he didn't. That's a lie. Come and meet with us and let's counsel together. Let's talk about this. No, talk is cheap. It's not going to get any more of the wall done. I'm going to stay on the wall. You can talk to God if you want to. But I already am talking to God. 
Go, go with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. It's not going to be on the screen. And I want you to see the New Testament warning that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders. He warns them about this. And so we t- Old Testament, New Testament. In the New Testament, verse 17, Paul sends, you know, he's in Miletus, he sent to the Ephesian elders in Ephesus and he called them to come to him. Okay, so there's a plurality. The elders of Ephesus come and meet with me. In verse 18 of Acts 20, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from my first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me throughout the plots, through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That was his message. And then he says this in verse 22, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. This is it, boys. This is our last meeting. You hear what he's saying? I I love you. I've invested my life with you. You've been with me in good times and in really bad times. We're not gonna see each other on this side of eternity again. So now you're listening to the final words you're gonna hear in person from this guy. This guy is all beat up and scarred up from from becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, preaching this message. Verse 26, Acts 20. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You understand that's what a pastor's job is to do? Talk about a weight. That's my evidence for long sermons right there. I have to declare the whole counsel of God. That's what I wanted to do for Emma and Stephen's wedding. Start in Genesis, make our way to Exodus. We'd have been there a long time. We'd still be there. Not really. I just, the whole counsel of God. Verse 28, pay careful attention. So now he's talking to the elders. This is kind of the so what. This is where he's, he's zeroing in on these leaders of the congregation. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Start there and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You understand the church doesn't make elders? The Holy Spirit provides elders as gifts to a congregation. Pay attention to yourselves. Take care of the flock. Uh, You'll answer to God because the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church of God. It's not my church. It's not our church in ownership. 
It's God's church which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Okay, that's the external coming in. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That's from up inside. That's internal. Therefore, elders, listen up, be alert, wake up, pay attention, stay on task. Be vigilant, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What does he do? He entrusts them to the Lord. He gave them an impossible task. Take care of the church of God and take care of it well. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. What do we need to do this? God, his spirit, his grace. That's enough. So that's New Testament. Now let's go back and let's look at the five strategies for success. Let's uh, take from Nehemiah. He has five strategies for success, and we just can go through these relatively briefly because it just plays out. Intermixed in all of this, we see his response. How did he respond to the external attacks coming in? How did he respond to the internal attacks? How did he deal with his own personal concerns and his own personal struggles with fear? You don't think Nehemiah had some concerns and some anxiety? What did he do? Letter A, serve the Lord. There's his first, there's his first strategy. Here, I'm serving the Lord. I'm his servant, not yours. This is a great work I'm in. Now, you might read this passage, and it's interesting, the personal pronouns, there's a lot of I, I, I. But the difference is because they're attacking him, him, him. So we have to see how does their leader respond to these attacks from the outside and from the inside. Well, he goes back to the basics. I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm the Lord's servant. Therefore, it's a great work. He's not saying, I expect a plaque for my work because I have done a great work. He's saying, I'm involved in a great work. You don't see it or care about it, but I do. And he keeps inviting people to see it. I'm doing a great work. Loved ones, if you've been given an opportunity to serve in the church of God, do you say with Nehemiah, I'm involved in a great work? Well, I'm just changing diapers in a nursery. You're involved in a great work. Well, I just welcome people when they come in. I just clean the restrooms. I just run a vacuum. I just make sure that the building looks good. I just look for people when they come in and I, and I say hi to them and I care for people. Send a card, send an email. Miscellaneous drop stuff off at the pastor's house. He want to encourage you. Whatever it is, do you see it as a great work? Because that's what it is when it's done for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? So are you involved in a great work? All right. How can I be involved? I, mean, I love the new members coming in, and that's the role of the elders, helping you, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. What is the place that God has for you? The psalmist says in Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. Is that how you wake up on Sunday morning? I can't wait to get with the people of God. We're going to sing. 
We're going to serve. We're going to glorify Jesus. They're not messing with Nehemiah. He's like, I'm serving the king and the king of kings. What do you got? Your buddy? Nah. King of the world and the king of creation. My side, still busy. Leave a message. I'm not calling you back. <laughs> Romans 12, 11, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. And listen to what Paul says. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. That's Romans 12, 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Can you just think for a moment, where am I serving the Lord in his church? Does that describe my ministry? Nehemiah says, I'm serving the Lord. I'm not gonna serve you fellas. Stand in the truth. We see this in verses eight and nine. Nehemiah didn't buy the lies. No way. I'm not buying the lies. I'm standing in the truth. I'm standing on the truth. I'm standing for the truth. I'm standing in the truth. I'm not buying your lies. I'm not falling to all the things that you're saying because he knew the truth. He knew the truth. What does he say? No such things as you say have been done. He knew his own motives. He knew God brought him this far and would bring him to completion. He was grounded in the truth. Nehemiah knew the truth. He's not buying the lies. Nehemiah declared the truth. He says, here's the deal. You're just inventing them. You're sitting in your little houses and you're thinking up stuff to tell about me and none of it's true. I'm standing in the truth. I'm not buying your lies. This is why we have to be slow to rush to judgment. Somebody makes a, you know, a statement about a pastor or makes a statement about a politician and suddenly everybody just jumps on, oh, they're awful, they're so horrible, they're bad. Wait. Isn't there a thing called innocent until proven guilty? But it seems like that's backward in the day we live in. Nehemiah says, I'm standing in the truth. The evidence will come out. Nehemiah stood firmly on the truth. He rejected their lies, and he lived in the truth. Is this the testimony of our church? It should be the testimony of a church, that leaders and people are all devoted to the truth, even when the truth is contrary to culture, contrary to public opinion. But what are we to do? Don't buy the lies. Stand in the truth. What did Jesus tell his enemies? Your children of, your, I know who your father is. The devil, the father of lies. He's a liar. Those are fighting words. 2 Corinthians 4.2. Paul says this, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. That's why your Bible is open in your lap or on an app because you're gonna read what I'm saying? Is that what it is saying? Paul says, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Open statement of the truth. We don't need to be clever. 
I don't need to be cute. I just need to be clear. So I don't spend a lot of time on that in the week. Just to be clear, that I spend my time in. Galatians 2.5, to them, Paul says, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We're just gonna stay with the truth. Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Let's speak the truth. Let's speak the truth in love. 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says, Timothy, if I delay, you, young man, may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, Timothy. You paying attention, son? The pillar and buttress of the truth, Timothy. Speak the truth and speak it in love. And let her see, seek the Lord. We see this from Nehemiah. Seek the Lord. That is abide in prayer. Abide in prayer. Nehemiah is committing to abiding in prayer. That's how he responds. When he seeks the Lord, he has done this throughout the book. He goes to God and God answers. God is answering and he knows God will answer. I've already seen him answer my prayer. So in verse nine, he says, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. What's he, they're causing me to get distracted. They're causing me discouragement. Strengthen my hands, Lord. Strengthen my hands. This is Nehemiah's constant response. Nehemiah turned to God in prayer when he's attacked by his enemies in verse 14. Remember Tobiah and Samballot, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. That's what they were going for. They wanted, to me, they wanted me to fear them instead of fearing you, Lord. But understand, Nehemiah knew his Bible. In De Deuteronomy 13, I'm not gonna read this uh, section today. Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18. Just write these down in your margin. Deuteronomy 13, one to four. Deuteronomy 18, 20 and 22. Nehemiah understood what the Lord said about if someone comes in, a prophet or a dreamer, and they try to bring you away into disobedience, you can be guaranteed, the Lord says, I didn't send them. And if they say anything, the Lord has told me that this is going to happen. Jesus is going to come back on this day, and it doesn't happen, they're not from God. Oh, and by the way, Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour, so that's going to take care of anybody who ever tries to set a date before they even set a date. Hey, you know, Jesus is going to come back on the... I didn't even tell you the date yet. Yeah, I don't have to listen to you because Jesus already told me. And I'm going to go with Jesus, not you. But do you know who I am? Not Jesus. Next. Right? Simple. And then when, when Moses promises the people of God, there will be another prophet, him listen to Jesus. And they didn't listen to him. You should fear him. But if somebody tells you something's not going to happen, hey, don't be afraid of them. You have no fear of them because they're not from God. So Nehemiah is like, nah, I know my Bible. I'm going to seek the Lord, not you. He'll provide help, not you. Letter D, stay the course. Stay the course. Nehemiah, he's not giving up. He's not going to back down. He stays the course. He refuses to quit, and he gives all the glory to God. 
I love this guy. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to stay the course. So God's people celebrated the goodness of God. In 52 days, the wall's done. They're all amazed. We've waited for over 100 years, and we didn't get anything done. In 52 days, this guy shows up saying, God sent me, and the king sent me, and here we are. Who's in? And they work all the conflict, and the enemy's, oh, you're going to die. And he's like, that's all right. Keep building. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Who run to the Lord's house and hide in the name of the Lord? No. Keep building. And what happens? Now the nations are afraid. The nations are like, oh, Nehemiah, we're going to kill you. Oh, Nehemiah, come out and meet with us. We're going to kill you. Hey, Nehemiah, be afraid. No. Now the nations are like, oh, man, none of our plans worked. None of our threats worked. The work of God is going forward over there. And we thought the church would just close when we left. Uh-uh. Because it's not your church and it's not my church. It's the Lord's church. And he promised something. I will build my church. Whenever you see the instruction from Paul to the, the elders, whose church is it? It's God's church. This is so helpful. The nations, they fell greatly in their own esteem. So think about this. What are we learning right here from the Old Testament that's gospel-centered. They're learning what everybody has to learn. Every single person, they have to learn this. I cannot trust myself. I cannot save myself. How am I, if I can't get this plan, how am I gonna defeat death? What do I have against death? And so now they're afraid. They're powerless against the God of Israel. Now they realize, I can't, we can't save ourselves. We need a saving God. Our gods did nothing for us. But Nehemiah's God, ah, something different's happening over there. I wonder if Nehemiah's God would welcome us. I wonder if we could worship that God who actually hears and answers prayer. We haven't seen any images of him, except look around you. You're made in the image of God. Do we rightly represent him? No, I don't. That's why I need mercy. This is the gospel. How am I going to win against death? I can't save myself. I need a savior. Aha, now we have the gospel. Jesus came to save you. And he paid your fine and he died your death, and he rose from the grave to give life to everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him alone, life that never ends. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to me. Then Nehemiah does this. Share the ministry. Share the ministry. He's committed to community. You see what they were saying about him? Oh, he just wants to make himself king. He just wants to be the lead leader of leading. You know, he's going to write books on leadership now. Nehemiah is going to be King Nehemiah in a little matter of time. What are they saying? They're saying what they would do if they were in that city. They're judging Nehemiah on their character, not his reputation. 
They're, they're, this is what's in their heart. I want more power. I want more glory. I want more control. And Nehemiah, the wall is done. The work, his segment that he came to do, that he requested permission from, is finished. And what does he do? All right, bring on the gatekeepers. Bring on the singers. Bring on the Levites. I can't do this all myself. You all need to be involved in this ministry. And by the way, here's a really godly man. Hananiah, I'm appointing you governor. Really? I could fire you if you promote me governor. I could fire you. I'm going to send you away right now. That's all right. You're a godly man. You're going to fear God. My work is done. The city life has begun. And my responsibility, I, the king said, when are you coming home? I'm going to have to go home. So he turns it over. You understand what we did in eldership? You know, there was some like, oh, eldership, they're just going to you know, take all the power away from the people. Yeah. And as soon as we have elders, the two elders can get together and like vote. Like pastor-wise, he's out. But they fear God. What is the Lord's will for his church? And when you have leaders and people seeking the Lord's will from the church, guess where you can be? Confident, content. It's the right environment. It's the right place. It's a family. This is amazing. You can rest there. Nehemiah's like, all right, I did my job. You guys are up. You're in charge. What do you want me to do? Isn't that beautiful? I mean, this just is stunning to me. So let's think about this and let's make an application. In the work of God, there's always been external and internal attacks. Always. There have always been some who, and there's at the bottom of your line, they fight against leadership at the, at the bottom of your notes there. They fight against leadership. There's some, and we've read their names here. I mean, there's always Samballot, Tobiah, you know, Geshem. They're just against, against, against. They fight. You know they're against. If you have a meeting, you're going to hear their voice of opposition. They're just they're against, against, against. That's what they're for is the opposite of whatever the leader's for. Then there are some who do nothing. They do nothing to help the leadership. They're like, well, I see, you got a point there. Oh, yeah, you got a point there, leader. Oh, yeah, they're just like, they just ride the fence. They don't want to make anybody upset. They just want to keep everybody happy, so they do nothing. But then there are these valuable individuals that heaven will display the glory of God in them. They serve with leadership. Nehemiah was not a loner. That, that wall wouldn't have been done in 52 days. There are a lot of people who are serving, and we're coming up to some lists of names they pray for the leaders. They encourage the leaders. They love the leaders. They help the leaders. They bless the leaders in a way that pleases the Lord, not flattery to the leader. Which person are you? What kind of people are we? This is a moment of personal reflection. Am I a person that just... I fight against it. I, I just, I'm not doing anything. Or Lord, you've given me responsibility in your church and what a joy and a privilege it is. Or maybe you're the person saying, you know, I'm praying about where that place is that I'll serve. Are we amazed, loved ones, and humbled by the work of God in our lives and in his church? I am. I am amazed. I'm amazed at what God has done and what he's doing, and I have so much expectation of what the Lord will do through you and through me. And we're, not, we're nothing special. 
but God lives in us. Now that's special. How can we be more engaged? I want you to pray about this. This isn't a week for small groups, but this is the question. Friends with friends, family members, how can we, how can I be more engaged and proactive in the church of God? Time is short. Nehemiah is like, time is short. I'm all in. How can we grow in this? What is it that the Lord would be prompting you to serve faithfully in his church? We as elders want to help you in that. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. I can promise you that. Let's stand together. I love you, people. Family, you church family, I love you. I love serving the Lord here. It's an honor and a privilege. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for your word and for your spirit that is taking people from all different walks of life and bringing us together and forging us into your people, your body, your church, this building. We thank you, Lord. And I pray for those hundreds, even thousands that right now in our area have not yet come to faith in Christ, that today you would be moving and drawing and they would hear this is a place where they can hear the words of this life, words that pertain to this life and everlasting life. I pray for those who are hearing this message right now and they have never turned and put their faith and trust in you, that today would be the day that they cry out to you for mercy for their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they would just live for you, God. Thank you for what you're doing and thank you for what you will do. We give all the glory to you and we surrender to you afresh and anew right here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.